The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so uh, let's just get started then and see what happens. So, starting from the top, hi Ajahn, ill will, what are the practices to get rid of ill will? Thank you so much. Uh, I will talk about ill will the first thing tomorrow morning. Uh, so that's come no, no, actually, is it? Uh, I think so. Uh, I think it's first thing tomorrow morning. So I will put that to one side. Uh, and uh, please come tomorrow morning. Uh, don't miss out on the ill will. Uh, uh, actually, that's the wrong way of putting it. Don't miss out on the ill will. <laughs> don't miss out on how to overcome uh, ill will. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave that for now because otherwise we might get too much of the same thing here. Yeah. Hi Ajahn, you have blown us away with your profound understanding of the suttas. Thank you so much. Uh, is it true that emptiness cannot be conceptualized? Uh, if that's true, then how can we contemplate it and experience it? Uh, um, everything can be conceptualized. Uh, yeah, you can conceptualize things. You can approximate to what it is, but you can't really fully understand it until you um, experience it. That's really the point. Uh, so you don't you can't really fully understand what something means by conceptualizing it. It's a bit like uh, you know doing a new thing that you've never done before, uh, eating a kind of food you never had before. Uh, you have to taste it to really know what it means. Uh, but you can have a rough idea. Yeah, you can say it's a little bit like an orange or whatever, uh, and you have a rough idea. But you can't fully explain it without trying it out. Uh, but uh, everything can be conceptualized, even uh, the idea of Nibbana can be conceptualized. Uh, yeah, the idea of extinguishment, of extinguishing defilements and dukkha and all of these things. Uh, and even the uh, extinguishment of the five khandhas, uh, the ending of the five khandhas can also be conceptualized to some extent. Uh, yeah, But the full experience is always going to be different than the concept, but you can approximate to that truth. Uh, and I think all uh, this is one of the things about the teachings of the Buddha. You know, when he teaches about the jhanas and these things, and he describes what these states are like, it's quite uh, uh, amazing because these are beyond ordinary people's experiences. And yet, somehow, he's able to describe them, which really is a kind of conceptualization, if you like. Uh, he's able to describe them uh, and give good descriptions that can then be followed to lead you in the right direction. Uh, but uh, you can't get it wrong. Many people get it wrong. Many think people think that uh, they have reached jhanas when they haven't. Uh, yeah, it's a very common thing. Uh, you have this uh, uh, jhana light, they call it, uh, <laughs> when you haven't quite got there, but you think it is jhanas. Uh, and uh, so there's this uh, arguments between the jhana light camp and the jhana, what is the opposite of jhana light, like jhana kind of uh, serious or whatever it is, jhana, jhana real or whatever. Uh, so... Um, yeah, this is kind of this is part for the course in Buddhism that you have dis discussions about these things. So, so uh, emptiness too can be uh, you know you have some idea what it means, uh, and uh, it means no self. You get some idea what emptiness as non-self means when you go into meditation. You get rid of some of the thinking, some of the um, ideas. Uh, uh, but of course, the full thing, uh, the full ending of it, cannot be concept cannot cannot really be understood because it is a new territory here. Yeah. Okay. Hi Ajahn, I'm thinking of taking long service leave from my job to try uh, and do my meditation. Then I'm afraid of sitting there bored, getting nowhere. How shall I think to push myself to take a break from a busy life? Um, I, what you may want to do is if you're going to do your meditation, I don't know where you're going to do it, but... Uh, uh, wherever you do it, take a break already, a shorter break first. Uh, try it out. I don't know if you want to stay in the monastery or you have some other nice place you want to stay. Uh, um, I, but, uh, you know, come to a monastery for a while. Uh, try it out. See how it works for you. Uh, and maybe you will find out that you actually do get bored. So then might you, may you, you, know, you, you may change your kind of ideas uh, if you find it really terrible. Uh, and uh, then you might uh, reevaluate. So try a shorter one first of all before you take a really long service. I don't know what you mean by how long is a long service? What is it, six months or a year or something? Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, three months. Three months. Okay, so still three months is pretty long. Yeah. So you you want to make sure that you can kind of uh, you know don't uh, doesn't become silly. So uh, 
yeah that's what i would recommend try first of all the shorter version uh, yeah a couple of weeks uh, and then uh, then you get some idea what's what uh, if it's going to work out for you or not uh. okay dear Ajahn, oui. thank you for your great teachings uh, i felt it seems easier to be a workaholic be distracted from the job than facing my dark and boring inside <laughs> I'm not getting too much calm from my meditation. What shall I do? Um, <laughs> yes, it is a lot. It's interesting, isn't it? You have a good point there because a lot of the things that people do in their life is actually distraction. Uh, and it often is like to be distracted from yourself. Yeah, you can't really face up to your um, uh, inner life and to what is going on. Uh, and uh, that is true that's why people love hanging out with the computers why they love to do computer games uh, hang out on the internet anything except being quiet uh, there was an experiment that was done a few years ago and there was a, a group of people not group there were lots of people and they were individually put into a room and this room had nothing inside of it but just bare walls there was nothing there at all in that room and they're only supposed to be there for 15 minutes was only one thing in that room there was a place on the wall you could give yourself an electric shock <laughs> that was the only thing you could do in that room was to give yourself an it wasn't a very strong one but it was nevertheless an electric shock yeah and the majority of those people they preferred instead of just sitting quiet doing nothing they preferred to give themselves electric shocks uh, yeah and there were some that were really over the top they 15 minutes they gave themselves 100 electric shocks or something within those 15 minutes uh, so this shows you that uh, being quiet and peaceful, just being with yourself, is actually a rare ability in the world. Most people don't like that. Uh, and uh, so uh, what you that's why, one of the reasons why, uh, coming back to this idea of uh, uh, starting out with a virtue, with a, a kindness, is so important. Because if you do that fully, really do it fully, uh, then you will find out very quickly that actually makes you feel better about yourself. Uh, the darkness inside becomes less dark. Uh, you start to feel more bright. Uh, you feel more light inside. Uh, yeah, You feel like more buoyant, buoyancy and these kind of things. Uh, and this is really the path forward. So to continue with a little bit of meditation practice because it is a good thing to do. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, in the long run you can see how your mind changes. Uh, but put a lot of focus into the idea of uh, the qualities of your personality, uh, yeah, the kindness, the uh, the care you put into you, how you look after yourself and look after the people around you. There's a lot that can be done in that area, uh, and uh, as you do that, you uh, uh, you will gradually head in the right direction. Uh. So that's what uh, I would recommend, and uh, you will also find out that your meditation varies a bit from time to time. There will be days when you are brighter; it's better other days when it's more dark so you find it varies and then you have to investigate why it varies and, and then uh, improve understand the good meditation so you can actually have more of those and understand the bad ones you can check those out so uh, yeah okay Here, Ajahn, in your opinion for the suttas which is the most accurate version translated by whom should we read? You're my favorite. <laughs> if we have limited time, which books or sutta scriptures are considered uh, a must read? Uh, thank you. A must read. Okay. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter so much because the suttas are very repetitive and very often what they do, they give uh, different angles on the same thing. Yeah, so it really depends a little bit. Uh, but I can, you know, I can kind of give you my top uh, suttas. And w one of the things that I have always liked is the gradual training. Uh, uh, gradual training is found, for example, in the Majjhimanika, middle-length sayings of the Buddha. And it gives you the uh, training in a, uh, from the beginning all the way to the end. And it gives you in quite a bit of detail. Uh, and it shows you what you have to do. Uh, yeah. So it starts off with uh, kind of coming across the teachings of the Buddha. Then you practice virtue, sense restraint, um, Satisampajanya, clear comprehension, giving up the five hindrances, uh, uh, attaining the jhanas, and then go, you know, um, becoming an arahant. And this is a very common teaching, and that's one of the reasons why it is interesting and it's very comprehensive. Uh. So that is um, a ni very nice sutta to read, uh, and uh, 
then of course there are suttas such as the sutta on the mindfulness of breathing uh, which is a very good one to read because it gives you very good instructions on how to do the meditation practice uh, many people would argue you should read the satipatthana sutta you can but it's more difficult to understand the satipatthana sutta because it doesn't give a specific instruction uh, or rather it gives instructions but it's not often easy to know how to apply them uh, this is the difficulty. For example, it just tells you to know the feelings, yeah? But it doesn't give you the context for how to know the feelings. Uh. So, and that context is given by anapanasati, by mindfulness of breathing. That gives you a context. It's one way of uh, watching the feelings. That's why I think it is easier to apply anapanasati than often to apply satipatthana. It is more open to interpretation. And that's why there are many different interpretations of it. Uh, or I would recommend you to read something like an anthology of the suttas. Uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's in the Buddha's word, in the Buddha's word by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi. Uh, it is still, uh, it can be, I think, I'm sure it can be, uh, I think some of the suttas are available online on Sutta Central. Uh, I think uh, it may be available there. Uh, so, uh, and uh, But what is nice about his in his um, anthology is that uh, first of all they're nicely translated is a very re reliable translator venerable bhikkhu bodhi uh, he but he also he um, gives nice introductions uh, and comments and uh, uh, end notes yeah explaining what is going on uh, and he has a very good grasp of the dhamma so generally speaking you get a very good uh, understanding when you follow when you follow his teachings uh, so i like his translation but i would i personally also like uh, Bhantasujato's translations because they are sometimes more accessible, uh, yeah, simple language, uh, and I quite like like the language that he uses. And he his translation is fairly close to the way Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi translates. They use a similar kind of vocabulary, a similar way of uh, thinking about the Dhamma in a sense, uh, yeah. So those would probably be my two favorites. Uh, and then if I translate anything, I would really recommend my translations. Yeah, they are. <laughs> So that is, a <laughs> I, I'm actually in the middle of translating the Vinaya Pitaka, which can probably be published down the, down the track. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, Vinaya Pitaka, I wouldn't really recommend lay people to read it. There are some nice stories in there. Maybe I will extract some of those stories and read them out to you on a future retreat. Uh, uh, but uh, that is my translation project. That will be my contribution to Sutta Central. Uh, and it probably will be published as well. Uh, but uh, so that will be also be kind of interesting. Yeah. Then I would also recommend you to read a little bit of the verses uh, uh, that you find. The verses are often very beautiful uh, uh, in this. Uh, uh, the, the Buddha's verses are often very nice uh, and they are often very meaningful. They are powerful. They are more emotional than the prose parts. Uh, and, uh, you know, things like the Dhammapada is very nice. There's some very beautiful verses in there. Uh, you may find it interesting to read the Teri Gata, you know, especially there are often many women who are interested in the spiritual path and it can be nice to see how other women have practiced in the past uh, the Theragata is one of the greatest collections of uh, suttas or verses by the ancient nuns and many of those ancient nuns they would have been arahants yes yeah? so it's quite inspiring uh, or the Theragata the equivalent for monks is also quite nice uh, and all of this is available on Sutta Central I think yeah. So you find it all there, yeah. or you can buy uh, versions of it. Uh, in terms of translations, one of the nice translations of the, the Dhammapada is the one done by a fellow called Gil Fronsdal. Uh, it's a nice translation. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, apart from that, if it's the Terigata, you probably have to go with Bhante Sujato's translation that is uh, available on Sutta Central. Uh. So all of that is good stuff, yeah? And then one day when you read all that, then you can just grab the Majjhimanikaya, middle-length sayings, uh, and I would recommend you to read the Majjhimanikaya. So how do you read the Majjhimanikaya? Do you start on page one and end up on page 1000 or something, or whatever it is? <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. Is that the best way to do it? And I would not really recommend you to read suttas in that way. Why? What I would because the Majjhimanikaya is is very unfortunate. The very first sutta is probably the most profound sutta in the entire Tipitaka. So it's like you start off, whoa, Mula Pariyaya Sutta, the root of all things, and it's like you straight away you put off. You never read a sutta again after that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, don't don't do it that way. Yeah. Instead, uh, read a little bit, and if you think this is just too much. Put it to one side. Uh. Actually, with the with the middle length sayings of the Buddha, the Majjhimanikaya, 
every sutta has a short introduction by Bhikkhu Bodhidharma. Yeah, so every sutta gives you a summary initially. So read that summary first. Uh, and if that summary just sounds completely wrong, just skip. Go to the second sutta, skip. Third sutta, skip. Fourth sutta, skip. Fifth sutta, skip. <laughs> so then finally you get to one sutta. Yeah, maybe number ninety-two. Okay, finally. Okay, this one is nice. Yeah. So do it that way. Don't feel afraid. You don't have to start from the beginning and read to the end. Read what you enjoy, because the suttas are not planned in a sequence. They are indiv individual, self-contained uh, teachings. So everyone has a meaning, regardless of how you read it in the sequence. That's the nice thing about these things. So make sure you enjoy it, because in that way you encourage uh, the more reading of the suttas in the future. So that's what I would recommend. And uh, what you can often do is you can also listen to explanation of the suttas. Uh, yeah, there are some good explanations available on the internet by all kinds of people. Uh, uh, take someone that you trust, uh, yeah, Venerable Bhikkhu for example, whoever it is, uh, Ajahn Brahm or, or whatever, and then uh, listen to those explanations. Uh, and then uh, you will uh, uh, get more out of it, especially in the beginning when you're starting out. Uh, yeah, I, it, I hopefully that some of the teachings I've given here will have given you some insight into the suttas. Uh, and uh, you may, hopefully you will agree that if you read it by yourself, you wouldn't get quite as much out of it, uh, yeah? Yeah, Be why? Well, because I have a lot of experience reading the suttas. Uh, that's basically why, and that's the advantage uh, of listening to someone who has that e background and experience. Uh. So, um, yeah, so that, that should, uh, uh, yeah. So hopefully that will give you a, a, a fair, reasonable answer to that. Uh. Okay, dear Ajahn, you said uh, Buddhism's foundation lies in the assumption that the Buddha is awakened. Uh, how can we be certain this is true? <laughs> the only way to be certain is to follow the Buddha's practice and reach the same thing. Yeah, and then you know that those suttas must have come from enlightened mind. There's no way anyone would have been able to teach them without being awakened. Uh, then you can be certain. Uh, so uh, you know your experience when you become a stream mentor, you know the Buddha was awakened. Uh, that's kind of one of the uh, uh, outcomes uh, of your own awakening. Prior to that, you cannot know. Uh, all you can do is to have confidence. Yeah, you can have some degree of confidence. Uh, so you read the suttas, you think, wow, this, this uh, person, uh, they are the Buddha, pretty amazing. Okay, uh, must, there must be st something going on here which is really unique, very special. Uh, the suttas really are a unique collection of spiritual practices and good advice and wisdom. You know, you really get this feeling that someone very special is behind this. Uh, so you may not know that they're awakened, but you certainly get the feeling of someone who's got is pretty clued in when it comes to spiritual matters. Uh. So uh, that is uh, how you do it. Uh, so many, so many teachers claim that and may seem so because they can teach theoretical wisdom, they may not be fully awakened. Absolutely. And this is something that you have to be careful of. Some people are very charismatic by nature. They may be very well-spoken, they may be very articulate, and that you may be very impressive. And some of them are really dodgy characters. Yeah. Even in Buddhism, but certainly many other spiritual teachers outside of Buddhism, there are all kinds of spiritual teachers in the world. And there are many people who will the, the practice that will be destructive for you uh, in the long run they create all kind of problems yeah especially these cults uh, where people kind of get corralled in around one personality this is less likely to happen in buddhism and the reason is because everyone ultimately takes the buddha as their teacher uh. so when everyone takes the buddha as a teacher someone who isn't there much less likely to have a cult uh. it can happen in buddhism as well yeah some people say oh you know i am the one i understand or whatever you know come here and then it can happen uh, but the more we emphasize taking the buddha as your teacher the less likely it is to happen uh, because you have some everyone has the same external teacher uh, that is kind of uh, the nice thing about it uh. so do use use your wisdom yeah if you um, feel that people aren't you know if things aren't quite right then trust your judgment uh. don't be afraid of trusting your judgment uh, regardless of what other people say uh. if something doesn't feel right then um, it's always dangerous to go too far uh, because, uh, uh, yeah, you may just be taken for, for a ride, and the things may go go wrong as a consequence. Uh. Okay, Ajahn, Buddha's teaching 
were transmitted two and a half thousand years ago and other monks interpreted collected and translated them in no transcend transcribed them into text how can we be sure it is a hundred percent accurate and represents what he exactly thought especially how easy information can be misinterpreted even from just one person to another consider it was collected and passed through so many years and people surely some is interpreted and even misread or, or, or misinterpreted or even missed okay um uh, yes uh and no and uh, maybe and uh, whatever and <laughs> so the the point is that uh, you know this is actually a very interesting area of study yeah because this is a uh, uh, one of the things that I have been very interested in precisely for this reason. Uh, and there is a little book that I, uh, uh, myself and Adan Sudato wrote together called The Authenticity of the Early Buddhist Texts. Uh, Authenticity of the Early Buddhist Texts, you can find it online. It was published by Oxford Center for Buddhist Studies in the UK. So it has kind of a good pedigree and uh, gone through good, uh, um, uh, you know, s scholarly, uh, uh, what is it called? When you go peer review kind of thing exactly yeah, that sort of thing here yeah. so uh, uh that is a i think you may find that interesting here yeah, yeah because that is precisely discusses that particular question yeah. but uh, basically uh, one of the main findings modern findings uh, in buddhist studies is that uh, the early suttas were translated into a number of different languages and they first of all they existed in different schools yeah there was a large number of early schools in buddhism when the sangha separated out some of that separation was because of geographical separation other was because of doctrinal separation but it started fairly early after the buddha say within probably 100 years after the buddha already the separation had started yeah and then it it uh, uh, gathered pace later on uh, around the time of Ashoka which was maybe 150 years after the Buddha that's when it really started to happen properly and because he sent out missionaries around India and all of that uh. so uh, from that time onwards these schools were separate uh, yeah they had their own canons their own suttas uh. and then uh, some of those suttas then went to Sarvastivadin for example uh, and the Dharmaguptaka which existed in north of India then they went they went uh, into China eventually translated into ancient Chinese uh, yeah and this translation into ancient Chinese started uh, uh, some of the earliest uh, translations are from the around the first century AD here uh, yeah so they're very old uh, the bulk of translations into Chinese of the suttas uh, happened around the fourth century AD uh, uh, and some of it also later here uh, and uh, so these are uh, quite well-known translators. Kumara Jiva is one of them. Uh, uh, Angshi Gao is, is one of these early translators. He's one of the very early ones. Uh, and they're well-known because the Chinese were a very literate culture, so they would write down who translated them, when it happened, and all of these kind of things. Uh. So uh, it went there, yeah. And then, uh, of course, because they have been so separated uh, for so long, uh, yeah, it is very interesting then to compare them afterwards. Uh. I, c I should also add that some of the most ancient scriptures have been, been found. Uh, they have actually found scriptures that are almost 2,000 years old. Uh. There's some birch bark scriptures that contained in, uh, uh, in certain uh, urns, urns that were dug down, were sealed, and then dug down in the desert, you know, in parts of Central Asia, what is now Afghanistan. They were then unearthed, taken out, and then they have been pieced together again after 2,000 years. Uh. You think there was only dust left of those things, but actually they still can be pieced together. So some of the earliest suttas we have are almost 2,000 years old. Uh, uh, so it's, it's quite, quite astonishing. And they are kept in not in, not in ancient Chinese, but these are Indic languages, like Gandhari language or Sanskrit or, or such languages. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you compare all of these things, uh, you look at this, what you find, you find astonishing similarities. Yeah? And this is what is so interesting here. Yeah? So as I mentioned the other day, some, sometimes it is verbatim the same when you translate uh, Chinese back into English and Pali into English, verbatim the same. For example, the jhana formulas, uh, are sec especially the first and second jhana, are almost exactly the same word for word. And they are exactly the same word for word. Uh. In the third jhana, there's one word which is a little bit different, uh, but it doesn't really make any difference for the meaning. Yeah. So this kind of thing makes you feel, feel quite confident that we 
actually do have the word of the Buddha. So you may ask, well, that covers 2,300 years. What about the last 200 years uh, to the Buddha? Yeah, how can we know about that? Uh, well, what we do know, if the, if the monks and those who preserved the text were so conservative over 2,300 years, uh, we need to ask, where did that conservatism come from? Uh, it would have been that conservatism would have come from the Sangha that existed even earlier. Yeah, It would have been something that uh, was... Uh, uh, the Buddha would have taught the monks to be conservative and careful. Uh, that's why that conservatism also existed later on. Uh, that is why they, they looked after it so carefully. Uh, if anyone had been really kind of radical from the beginning, uh, then it's likely that that radicalness would have continued on and nobody would have preserved things properly. Uh. In fact, when you go back to the suttas, uh, one of the things the Buddha says is precisely he talks in the very suttas that we have now. Uh, there is descriptions of how to look after the suttas, how you should recite them together. Yeah, the Sangiti. Sangiti is uh, often translated as counsel, but Sangiti literally means uh, reciting together. Gita is like chanting or something, and Sang is together. Uh, yeah, so we these councils that we talk about, there's a famous six council that happened in Burma in 1954 or 56, something. Chatta Sangayana, the six chanting together. That was a part of this ancient tradition of holding these councils or recitations together. So this is laid down already in the suttas. Uh, and the Buddha says you should come that together like this. You should compare meaning with meaning and expression with expression and sort it out. Uh, yeah? He tells you how to collect the suttas in the beginning, how they should be collected. Uh, they should be collected in a way but whereby you compare. If someone tells you they have a sutta they heard from the Buddha, he says, well, what you should do, you shouldn't just include it automatically. You should compare it to the existing corpus of suttas to see if it matches. Only then should you include it. Uh, so there was a very so this idea of looking after the suttas and making sure they were transmitted properly, this conservative conservative idea was there from the very beginning yeah and that is how you can know with a fair amount of certainty that what we have now is the word of the Buddha not verbatim not every word uh, will be right uh, but the general ideas we can be absolutely certain that are, are the same four noble truths dependent origination five hindrances eightfold path all of this will be the same uh, often it will be verbatim the same as well like uh, expert you know, just uh, talking about the jhana formula. Very often you compare the suttas uh, and you can barely tell the difference. I One of my favorite suttas that I will read out on the very last day is the sutta which shows the um, development of meditation practice, starting with sila, going to non-regret, pamudra, the gladness, the piti, and then the tranquility, yeah, which shows that uh, basically how enlightenment comes about as a personal experience. Uh, you take that the tr translation coming from the Chinese and then the translation coming from the Pali and you compare them, uh, they're almost indistinguishable. Uh, yeah? So these are core ideas in Buddhism that are virtually exactly the same. Uh, so this is how you, how you know this. Uh, and uh, uh, this is one of the main ways of finding out. Uh, uh, there are also other ways. There are some ancient inscriptions uh, like the Ashokan pillars. Sometimes you find names of suttas. You, you know from that that uh, the suttas existed under those names a long time ago. You, uh, then they can, you can use linguistic analysis within the Pali Canon. So you can tell that the Abhidhamma is later than the suttas, for example. Uh, all of these kind of things. Uh, but basically, the four Nikayas... Uh, they are the ones that are, you know, deganic long discourses, middle-length discourses, connected discourses, and numerical discourses. Uh, these are the things you find uh, in Chinese translation, in Pali, some of it in Sanskrit, some of it in Tibetan, some of it in other obscure languages. Uh, the other things uh, do not exist in all the traditions, uh, so they are later. They belong to individual schools uh, and do not belong to the common heritage going back to the, to the Buddha. So this is how you 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 look at this, yeah, and uh, then you after a while you feel co quite confident, actually not only quite very confident that what we have is the word of the Buddha. So check out the authenticity of the early Buddhist texts. It's an only a small little book, yeah, but you may find it interesting here. Yeah. yeah, so uh, you're right though. There's always bound to be a little bit of. Um, Mistakes, yeah, that's, that's unavoidable when you have something which is two and a half thousand years old. 
everyone makes mistakes. It would have been a miracle if they had been able to uh, keep it exactly the same way. Okay, dear Ajahn, the precepts involve boundaries. Uh, for example, not to indulge in alcohol, not stealing, etc. In psychology, are boundaries, e.g. self and other, mother and daughter, etc., and transgressing some boundaries lead to mental and emotional affliction? Uh, can you please say a few words on use of boundaries, uh, skillful and unskillful, on the Dhamma path? Thank you. Um, uh, yes, so b I think boundaries often means that you um, don't allow other people to kind of uh, uh, control very often or you feel that other people are too involved in your life and you you don't have enough kind of independence or whatever, something like that. Uh, yeah, it's part of this idea of boundaries. Uh, you are you want to be in charge of your own life, uh, yeah, to make sure that other people don't intrude too much on you. That is like setting boundaries. Uh, yeah. So you for example, if you want to have your meditation time every day, you say this is my meditation time, please stay away at this time or something like that. That's like setting boundaries. Uh, so yes, it is important. Yeah, we need to know, we need to let other people know when we you know want to be kind of uh, do our own thing yeah. also boundaries can be things like people say things or do things that are inappropriate uh, and then it's okay to tell them yeah the way you're acting is inappropriate it is uh, you know i feel uncomfortable when you do these kind of things uh, and uh, these things are also uh, s setting boundaries uh. so uh, yes uh, this is ab about being a little bit assertive uh, being a Buddhist doesn't mean that you kind of allow people to do whatever. Being kind doesn't mean that you kind of always say yes to everything. That, I think, is a misunderstanding of kindness. Uh, kindness means that you are sometimes allowing people to do everything. Actually, is not very kind at all because they p everyone needs to learn precisely what you're saying here about boundaries and what isn't right and having sen being sensitive to other people is very important yeah and you don't learn that unless people sometimes say stop you're going too far don't do that it feels bad for other people if you do these kind of things uh, it's not appropriate uh, and then you you stop people uh. so uh yeah something like that i'm not sure exactly what you mean by boundaries but uh, something maybe to that effect uh, would you like to add anything about boundaries uh, you have any here uh, I think um, boundaries are, are useful, and especially you see that with children, don't you? That's what I was thinking when, when you're talking about boundaries, because establishing those things for children, so they're clear about it. But it also occurred to me, we, we, we do it automatically at this retreat, aren't we? We're observing certain <laughs> boundaries. So it's part of life, and as Bhante said, it's, it's actually being uh, thoughtful, keeping other people in mind as well. Of um, by observing those commonly agreed boundaries, so I think they they do provide um, uh, that sort of th those those boundaries do provide us with with a way of looking at the world. But they shouldn't become, you know, when at the same time I hear boundaries, I think of the boundless states. <laughs> it's it's a different thing altogether. I know loving kindness and <coughs> the other Brahma Viharas. But boundaries are useful in a society, uh, certainly within families, within relationships, as Bhante says, so that we don't, uh, if people do overstep the boundaries, they know it, uh, and uh, then they, they can uh, change their behaviour, hopefully change their behaviour, something like that. So boundaries are important, but not, I often feel too, don't, don't imprison ourselves with boundaries at the same time. So <laughs> that's what comes to mind. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Bhante. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the one of the similes or one of the stories that Jean Brahm always tells is this idea that uh, you know sometimes people want to be free, uh, and the idea of freedom is to have no boundaries. Uh, yeah, but uh, actually, it doesn't work that way. Often, boundaries actually lead to freedom, uh, because freedom is not an external thing in the world, freedom is a mental state. Uh, and the mental state of freedom comes from having boundaries, especially when it comes to virtue and that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, 
it's, a, it's a, yeah so people often kind of get these things really wrong here okay anyway let's go on to the next one there uh, hello Azan. in the afternoon session you discussed that you arrive at understanding wisdom through experience uh, but that it is important to be mindful of whether delusion plays a part in the understanding of that experience uh, other than through the path and right view how do you test whether that understanding has been tainted by delusion many thanks uh, well one of the ways of uh, no knowing that is uh, you know one of the is always about whether the, the uh, whether you have defilements in the mind or not as if there is some sort of defilement in the mind guaranteed it is tainted by delusion uh, so if you're going to make a decision about something, for example, always make decisions when your mind is clear, uh, when the mind is kind of even and balanced and, uh, and uh, you, you know, you don't really see any strong defilements in the mind, then you're going to make good decisions. Uh, and sometimes we can make decisions based on intuition alone. Intuition can be very powerful, uh, but you know intuition is, tends to be right only when the defilements are low. If you have defilements in your mind, you can never trust your intuition. Uh, but when the defilements are gone, intuition usually is often very, very spot on. You know almost automatically what is right sometimes. Uh, so uh, this, this is the first way to know whether the mind is clear, whether it is kind of even and relaxed and at ease. Uh, yeah, Those are the times when the, uh, there's minimum delusion. Uh, but... Um, Sometimes what you have to do is that you, this is one of the reasons why we have the Buddha in the world, because we don't know. Even when the mind is completely, ultimately relaxed through a deep state of samadhi, you're really chilled, you're kind of utterly cool and really, you know, you think you have kind of seen everything there is to see. The problem is still, you may not have seen everything. And this is why the sutta this morning, the idea you need the Buddha or the Saparisa, the superior person at the very beginning to guide you past this uh, final delusion which is so profound uh, because the non-self delusion uh, or the self delusion is you know this is precisely the problem you cannot it's almost p impossible to unearth that delusion without somebody pointing you in the right direction uh. so this is why we uh, you know you, you can tell to some extent whether you are deluded uh, but that final delusion the really big one of, of non-self or seeing seeing the non-self uh, that is where you need some kind of support so um uh, and of course people understand the idea of non-self in different ways this is just to make it just even more tricky to, <laughs> to find the right way yeah so you have to kind of try to rely on the buddha as far as you can uh, because otherwise you might uh, end up going wrong again but uh, basically the idea is that you see you look at you you know you uh, ask yourself a question like what do i take myself to be here or you just keep on watching the five khandhas everything that you experience uh, and you uh, see it uh, gradually by by observing it by seeing that it is all impermanent and changeable ultimately the kind of the uh, penny drops it is all empty there's nothing there uh, yeah it is just kind of this conditioned experience going on uh. so uh, yeah, this is why a degree of confidence and faith on the Buddhist path is required. Yeah, it is necessary because without that, you can't really make the breakthrough by yourself. Uh, you need some support. You need the Buddha to hold your hand. Uh. <laughs> sort of, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, metaphorically hold your hand. Uh. So, uh, hold your mind, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, let's go on to the next one. Dear Ajahn, thank you for your teachings. I find that sense restraint requires a willpower from myself, e.g. it is hard not to watch Netflix because I find it relaxing. <laughs> okay. Um, could you elaborate on mindfulness and situational awareness as well as wise attention? I would like to give sense restraint the correct fuel. <laughs> Also, I do not find your Sutta teachings boring. In fact, they are very inspiring. Thank you, Jamamali and Ajahn Nisarano. Okay, good. Excellent. So, um, uh, so you find Netflix uh, relaxing? Okay, uh, that, you know, maybe sometimes if you feel really stressed, you can watch a bit on Netflix. It probably doesn't matter. I, I don't know, what do they show on Netflix? Do they show anything useful or is it just uh, uh, movies? It's just all movies, is it? Okay, almost just movies, okay. Or maybe you can find some kind of halfway house or something which is kind of a bit like 
a bit nice to watch, but it doesn't really lead to kind of as much lack of sense restraint as Netflix, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. It's okay to use the sensual pleasures of the world a little bit to relax, yeah? If you come back home, you want to put on some nice soft music or something like that, do, do that, yeah? Don't, don't, uh, don't be too kind of austere. Uh, if you try to sit down straight away and meditate when you're very tired, it's not going to work. You're either going to fall asleep or you're going to get tense or whatever. It's not going to work usually. So don't do that. Be wise about how you use these things so it actually gives some good results so yeah but um so see yeah have a nice cup of tea or whatever whatever it is that it takes to kind of make you feel more at ease but um what i'm going to talk about actually tomorrow and the day after is really all about sense restraint how to do that in practice in part that's going to be one of the main things uh so um I can elaborate on this, but really it's going to be coming tomorrow. <laughs> so, Yoniso Manasikara. So, what does it mean to have Yoniso Manasikara? Okay, so um, uh, let's say that someone does something which normally would irritate you, yeah, would normally would kind of make you upset or whatever. But then, you, after being brainwashed on this retreat for six days, you think, wait a minute. Maybe I should think about this differently, yeah? And if that doesn't happen, then I have failed as a teacher here. Yeah? So please don't make me feel miserable because I'm a failure, yeah? This is now your job to make me feel happy about myself. Yeah? <laughs> no, I, I'm just messing around. It's not uh, nothing to do with it. But you suddenly, it, you know, suddenly you understand what it is that you have to do to avoid that irritation, yeah? This same person who has irritated you a million times before, yeah? <laughs> so... Um, um, how does that joke go again? About uh, uh, I've t- I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, so uh, <laughs> so the point is that you then come to this person. Uh, yeah, this person is there, and suddenly one day you realize actually it's got nothing to do with me. Really, uh, yeah, it's not actually my problem that this person is like this. Why am I taking it personally? They are just conditioned in this way. They're doing it because that's their background. Maybe they had difficulties at school. Maybe they were brought up badly. Maybe a past life experience. It doesn't matter what it was. There's something in their background which makes them act in a stupid way. And suddenly you understand they are trapped in that way. They can't help themselves. They probably want to be kind. They probably want to be supportive. They probably because we mo- most people know that these things are true. Yeah, kindness makes you happy. We know these things really deep down. So because of that, you start to feel compassion for them instead. You think, wait a minute, why am I getting upset? They are the ones who have the problem. There's no reason for me to make it my problem. And then you start to have a sense of compassion for them. And it's kind of, it's radical. It turns things completely upside down. Usually you get angry. Now suddenly you have compassion because you look at them differently. That's Yoniso Manasikara. Yeah. You, you attend in a different way. You look at the person in a different way. Yeah? And suddenly that sense restraint happens. That is what sense restraint is. You don't allow it to go into aversion or desire, but you keep your mind in a beautiful, even state as a consequence. So keep on doing that. You learn these kind of, these are kind of basic tricks of, uh, of sense restraint that you learn. I will talk more about that uh, tomorrow. So that's Yonisomanisikara. You do the same thing with sensual pleasures, yeah? You are, you know, you may be in a relationship and you see someone else that you like, you think, wait a minute, forget about that. Yeah, things are good the way they are. Why do I want all the trouble of kind of looking at someone else who might interest me? And usually it's just a kind of silly fantasy anyway. There is no reality behind that or or whatever. So you withhold, you don't even think that thought, yeah, because you realize once you think it, then it gets out of hand. So you you stop even that part. or you see a nice Ferrari going down the street. Okay, I'm not going to have a Ferrari. Who, who, you may deep down you may think a Ferrari is cool, but you know it's not really wise to have a Ferrari. Yeah, so uh, so you, you kind of leave that out of your mind. Uh, I I don't know if that's a di- big defilement of yours or not, but uh, if it is, then kind of reduce the Ferrari defilement. Uh, the Buddha didn't talk about that, but it is a real defilement. Uh. So uh, this is how you do it. Yeah, you start to be wise about these things uh, and you then you withdraw this is yoniso manasikara wise attention you attend to things uh, with a mind that um, has a different outlook about this uh. 
you understand everything I own in this world is going to I'm going to have to give it up. So you start to attend to everything you own more in terms of the borrow mind rather than the owner mind. Yeah, I don't need to own. Even your children, you don't own your children. They're going to have to do their own thing. They're going to carry on in their own way. In the end, you can't control them. You may want to control them, but you can't. Okay, let them go. Give them a kind of long leash. Don't try to make them be one way or another one. Yeah, this is kind of uh, ways of thinking about the world. So that is the um, idea of um, yeah, And then that leads to Satisampajanya. Satisampajanya, the situational awareness, is really a lot about um, how, from a monk's, it is usually described in the sutta from a monastic point of view. And the monastic point of view is that all those things that you do outside of meditation, that is where you need to have this awareness. Yeah. So what do, do monks do outside of meditation? Well, sometimes they talk too much. That's one of the things they do. <laughs> so they talk a bit, yeah, or they are si- you are silent, or you eat. Yeah, we eat. You have to eat as a, as a monastic, yeah? or you go into town sometimes. Maybe sometimes you maybe even go shopping. Yeah, sometimes we go shopping in the monastery, shopping in the hardware store or something like that. It happens occasionally. Yeah? Not so much, but sometimes it happens. Yeah? Or you have to. D- sort things out on the phone or whatever. All of these things are the things that you do in daily life. And then you have to understand, why am I doing this? Am I fulfilling the purpose? Because it's so easy to be sidetracked by such issues. Yeah. So you're doing things that actually are an aid on the path, and you don't do those things that are not an aid. So if you have to go into the city, well, Okay, so you go in. What do you do? Do you look at all the advertisements and all these kind of things? Or do you just focus on what you're doing? If you look at all those advertisements, it doesn't take long before your mind is all over the place and you have a problem. Eh? So you just stay focused on what you're doing. Eh? You don't allow your mind to stray too much. Eh? You understand the purpose and the suitability of what you're doing. Eh? But you can also take that into your meditation practice. Sampajanya is also one of the factors of you find in the Satipatthana Sutta, yeah, Satipatthana, Satipatthana Sutta says that you kaya 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 nupasi. You contemplate the body, and the way you contemplate it is satima sampajano atapi vinaya loke abhijadomanasanga. These are the qualities that you bring in to that Satipatthana practice, and one of those is sampajanya, which is exactly what we're talking about here. So mainly, it is practiced outside of meditation in this way in your daily life, but also it is practiced in meditation. So you know when your mind is straying, going to the wrong place, no longer watching the breath, you know that, and then you can uh, bring it back again. Uh, yeah? So this is what this is about, understanding the purpose. And this can summarizing these two, two things, purpose and suitability of everything that you do. Uh. In Buddhism, everything is related to whether you're making progress or not. Uh. Is it suitable for progress on the path? Is it leading you onward on the path? Yeah? Is it suitable for that? Is it purposeful for that? If it is, then you're doing the right thing. Yeah? That is Sampajanya. And then, if you don't have that kind of Sampajanya, it makes sense restraint very difficult yeah? because you are already a bit out of control. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. So... Uh, Good. So it will be much more on this tomorrow. That's only a preview of what's going to happen tomorrow. Last one for today. Dear Ajahn, is there anything inherently uh, negative, problematic about wishing for a rebirth in the opposite gender uh, that, that you presently are? I would really like to be a monastic in my next life. But uh, I do not wish to be a female monastic, even though I am presently in a female form. Uh, I perceive the uh, difficulties for women in every avenue of life, including monastic, and the wonderful support and training received by men. Thank you. (laughs) There is some truth to that. uh, Yeah, that uh, it is. There is more support for males in the monastic life. It is certainly true. Um, but it is getting easier to be a woman. Uh, it is getting there are it is getting better. Yeah, it is improving, uh, and we're trying our very best. And if you go to a monastery like Damasara Monastery, actually, it is pretty good. Uh, you also have now Newbury Monastery also has a nuns community, and that 
true. I don't know exactly how it is run, but I, I go to Dhammasara quite regularly because they invite me over to give teachings and things. Uh, and I know that that monastery is, is run pretty well. Venerable Hasapanya is the abbot there, and she is a very, she is a very good abbot. Uh, you can tell she's a happy person. She's got good meditation practice. Yeah, She lets go a little bit. She doesn't control people too much. She, she seems to have, there seems to be a very good atmosphere in that community here. Uh, and uh, it is run largely on the same lines as we run Bodhinyana Monastery here. So it's getting better, yeah? And uh, I think in the future there is a large movement now both in Sri Lanka and Thailand for establishing more monasteries. Uh, many of those monasteries are probably, unfortunately, I probably wouldn't recommend them to be honest uh, because I that many of them don't take the Vinaya all that seriously and that sort of thing. But there are a few places uh, where they are practicing well. Same thing in Thailand. There is a, a, a few Thai monasteries for nuns, for bhikkhunis. Yeah? There's a full bhikkhunis in Thailand. Uh, get very well supported from uh, uh, people who have the means to support them properly. Uh. So it is not as bad as you may think. It is still, still <laughs> it is still quite a bit behind men. It's true. It, 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 it is true. But hopefully we will keep on improving that. Yeah? I, I think that... Uh, it is a shame. It is we, sh we need to give everyone a chance to uh, practice the monastic life because it is so valuable. And we need also more good teachers in the world. We need people in all kind of areas. And if we leave half of humanity out of it, we have we actually this big resource. Actually, I like to think of women as a resource. How can we get them to give teachings? That's what I. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm being naughty. So they're also a big resource, yeah? Why shouldn't we have more female teachers as well? And they will, maybe because female experience is a little bit different from male experience, uh, they might give an angle on the Dhamma, which actually is very, probably very interesting, yeah? yeah? Uh, a couple of years ago, we in specifically invited Venerable Hasapanya to give a talk to the monks at Bodhinana Monastery, and it was uh, the monks really enjoyed it, uh, yeah? And it was well-received. Uh, and some of the monks bow down to Venmasapanya afterwards. Why? Well, why not? Because uh, this is one of the things that we are looking for, is that more sense of equity between the genders, between this, at least in Perth. Uh, so it is happening. But if you really want to be reborn as a man, well, uh, you may not actually have to make a very strong determination if it is a deep-rooted feeling that that's what you want. It probably will happen, may very well happen anyway. Usually the reason why we get reborn in the same gender is because we are attached to our gender, uh, which is natural, yeah, because that's what we're used to. It is natural that we should be some, to some degree attached to our gender. So if that's what you, if, if you really have a deep wish for that, uh, then uh, quite likely uh, it will happen. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but you know, it may be more disappointing than you think. Maybe being a man isn't as great as you thought it, <laughs> as you thought it was, yeah. yeah. There are, there's always downsides to everything. We, do, we don't really know what we're getting to when we, when we, when we do these things. So it's always uncertain. Uh, so, uh, but uh, as far as far as monasteries are concerned, yeah, I would say you're probably you're right about that. Uh. Okay. Anyway, enough for tonight. Uh, so have another uh, good night's rest, uh, and we'll see you again tomorrow morning. Yeah. Let's do the Arahang Sama Sambudo together.